Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. So when I was a prosecutor, I'd go around with these guys. We raided crack houses and busted up gangs. This apartment complex over here, it was bad, but we took it back. To fund the police, ludicrous. All lives matter. It's not about color. Every family deserves to be safe. Crime is down a roar because the police budget is up. I've hired more cops. Oh, Ben, sorry. I was watching uh, a Richard Irvin. You know what? we got to play that for David. That's another one. All right. Your Ben Jarofsky Show for Thursday, February 17th, is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and, of course, Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com. For all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what to smoke, not cigarettes, but pot. They don't talk about cigarettes to smoke, just pot. And so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky, Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can, chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. It is Thursday, February 17th, and this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, making his long-awaited Ben Jarofsky Show return, Mr. David Seaton. And now your host... Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this. I'm sick of it. Thursday. <laughs> now, you should have told me that. I would have had it queued up and ready. Oh, sorry. It just popped into my head. You know, things happen, D. Things, you know, my mind is not something that could just be programmed. Okay? <laughs> my mind is something that's like constantly moving like right. a river. Well, start over. Start Ooh. over. <laughs> I'm sick of it Thursday. Start. Okay. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this. I'm sick of it Thursday, and here's why. I'm sick of it every year. We give power to one person. There it is. That's my guy. Former state representative Mike Post. Now, Congressman MAGA loves him. Uh, he's sick of Michael Madigan's uh, <laughs> strong arm rule, strong hand rule, whatever you're going to call it, of uh, the Illinois legislature for all those years. But, of course, then he went to Washington and loved it when Donnie Trump was calling the shots. Interesting. So as a principle, this is one of my favorite points. There's no, there's no principles in what Republicans say, Madigan says. It's just like convenient little tactics. Anyway, I'm sick of it. I was feeling very Mike Post uh, yesterday. I'm sick uh, of it. <laughs> and the it in the sentence that well, I'm sick of is COVID. And I'm like everybody else out there. I'm sick of it. Just sick and tired of the masks and the mandates and everything else. Well, we will be going I, on two years. So I guess that makes sense. Yes. <laughs> Literally two years coming up. Two years. Uh, and uh, so, and yet, and yet, 
I'm not, I'm not proud of what I'm about to reveal folks. I just, I believe in just, you know, being honest with you. So I had a moment. I'm a little embarrassed about do you happen at last night's bulls game? I want to share it with you right now. I went to the bulls game with a uh, dear friend, Monroe Anderson, uh, great game, by the way, uh, DeMar uh, DeRozan, 38 points, has now had seven games in a row, smashing Will Chamberlain's record, where he scored 35 points or more in a game while shooting over 50%. Amazing run. What a great, great player he is, and what a sensational year he's having. But that's not the point I wanted to make. The point I wanted to make is that uh, we're still in the old days at the United Center, where my beloved Chicago Bulls play, in the old days of mandates and masks and rules and regulations that you have to file, follow to protect yourself from COVID. As such, to get into the United Center, you must show a Vax card and a picture ID of yourself so that they can see that the name on the card <laughs> matches the picture ID. Oh, they're smart. I've since learned, however, D, I'm going to break this. I've since learned that there are people out there in the world who have, get ready for this, D, fake Vax cards. <laughs> they got fake fax cards ladies and gentlemen it's funny they don't want to get the vaccine but they still want to go to bulls games so how do you get around that get a fake fax card okay it's sort of a way of i mean it's not like taking a stand on the law like your truck driver in canada i'm sick of it you're gonna just go block roadways because you're sick of it by the way you guys in canada are just saying you could have gotten fake Vax cards, too. You didn't have to block the roads. Just throwing that out there. So anyway, uh, you got to show your uh, Vax card. You're supposed to wear a mask. Well, Dennis, I'm going to tell you something right now. There were only two people in my immediate section <laughs> wearing masks at last night's Bulls game. One was Monroe Anderson. The other was me. So Monroe and I said, yeah, let's get a beer. We got a beer. And he goes, yeah, you can't drink the beer with the mask on. So we took the mask off to drink the beer. You rebels. (laughs) (laughs) Smoking in the boys' room, huh? Uh, It's so funny. Man, Monroe's not here, so I could say this. If you knew how much reefer that man smoked in the 60s and the 70s, and now he's wearing a mask. Anyway. So we're sitting there enjoying our beer and a couple comes by to sit next to it. They sit next to Monroe and I'm like, oh, I don't want to put my mask on. So I said, to her, are you vax? Just tell me right now. Are you vaxxed? Just let me know. OK. And do you have COVID? And the guy was really nice. He goes, I do not have COVID. I swear to God, I do not have COVID. And uh, I vaxxed. And the woman who's with said the same thing. So I said, OK, cool. We'll just, you know, I'm feeling really free. Felt like it was the 70s and I was driving down the California Coast Highway with the wind blowing back my hair. Yeah. Listen to Hendrix. Drinking my beer without a mask. How about that, D, huh? Living large. (laughs) Sure. And then all of a sudden coming at me from my other side, two guys. They sat down. And Dennis, I'm a little embarrassed. I did Social stereotyping. Yes, Dennis, I did it. And I am ashamed to admit mm. that I did it. Mm. I didn't want to. I'm like, you know, I'm not going to ask everybody if they're vaxxed and if they have COVID. Yeah, that's, you know, it's like, that's, yeah, it's, it's like a, a, a little, little Karen-y. <laughs> no, it's more like Larry David. Yeah. Larry David. Yeah, you know, I, 
Well, that's my Flannery imitation. I'm supposed to do a Larry David. There is a little, by the way, have you ever noticed like Flannery has a little Larry David in him? Have you ever noticed that? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I'm a little ashamed to admit uh, David Seaton has joined him. We're going to bring him on in a little while. I'm a little ashamed to admit that I engaged, I indulged a little social stereotyping. I want to apologize to all my listeners. I want to apologize to my next guest, David Seaton. And I want to apologize to you, Dennis. I did a little social stereotyping. I took a look at these guys and they look like, oh, Dennis is going to be so mad at me. They look like they listen to Joe Rogan. <laughs> And so I just said, you know what? I'm I don't think here. these guys are vaxxed. I'm out of they- here. <laughs> I think these guys are unvaxxed and they snuck in on fake vax cards. Yes, Dennis, I did that. I made that very unfair, prejudicial conclusion based on the way they looked. And I am not proud of it, David Seaton, Dennis. I'm not proud of what I did. And I put my mask back on. <laughs> yeah, maybe you should just I'm stay terrible. home. Maybe you should just stay home for a little bit more. <laughs> You're not ready for this, dude. Uh, that's just, it's not right. And I want to apologize to all Joe Rogan fans everywhere from my heart. Just because you listen to Joe Rogan does not mean you're unvaxxed. It's crazy. You got, <laughs> got, you got into the Bulls game. With a fake Vax card. So that does not mean that. Even though I jumped to that conclusion last night at the Bulls game, my beloved Bulls uh, were victorious. All right. Now that I got that confession I feel out of my soul, I feel a lot better. I feel like a burden has been lifted from me. And I want to welcome back dear friend of this show. It's been too long since he's been on. The legendary pride and joy of Proviso West High School, David Seaton. Welcome back, David. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Good seeing you both of you. Yes. Now, before we get uh, started, promote something. Okay. Let's get that out of the way. And the, go. Right. The, the Buchanan and Seton show started off on WVON. It used to be on Fridays from 9 p.m. to midnight. So that was a very long drive home every Friday. So as of January of 2022, we are in the afternoon. The afternoon drive from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. on Friday. So now you can probably listen to us uh, in your car if you're commuting. Uh, it, you don't have to worry about rearranging your Friday night. So you can definitely catch us. Uh, same content, same thing, uh, you know, national politics, stories of the day. And also go to my blog at seatonspeaks.com. Uh, ton of great content there uh just added us some new contributors so we've got some new writers uh always like i said always great content check it out seatonspeaks.com uh yes and uh they used to be on nights and every now and then they would call me up and ask me to come on the show uh i always had the feeling that some other guests had backed i don't know david maybe that was just my imagination uh and uh but it'd be like friday night is usually the night i uh, let my freak flag fly and i've already had a few glasses of wine i'm like david man i can't do this at the drop of a hat on a friday night so anyway, I was uh, Tiba Buchanan, another uh, dear friend of the show. He invited me on his show on, uh, what day was it, David? I'm losing track of time. Was it Tuesday? I think it was Tuesday. Uh, anyway, and so I promoted your appearance. Uh, so Tiba, thank you very much. And Kimberly, your, um, thank you uh, too. All right, uh, David, I, um, 
you know what? I'm going to ask you, I'm going to get started. There's a lot of things that you wanted to talk about. Uh, Section eight law. Uh, we're going to get in that. When you, when you sent me that article, I said, well, we have to talk about Dave Chappelle and, and uh, we have to talk about Dave Chappelle and the section eight issues uh, in Ohio. And uh, I got a lot of uh, free speech and free expression and Sarah Palin thoughts on my mind that I want to talk to you about. Uh, but let me just ask you this. So the, the point that I've been making all week, and I made it with Atiba on his show and Kimberly's show, uh, is in the aftermath of the, um, uh, I would be writing about this for the reader, in the aftermath of Patrick Daly Thompson's uh, conviction. The Sun-Times did a story where they quoted one of the jurors saying she's 30 years old. She had never heard, she had never heard of the dailies <laughs> until she was on this trial. I mean, that's like the perfect juror they look for, you know, like someone in LA in 1995, I never heard of OJ Simpson, never heard of OJ Simpson. Oh, you could be on the jury. You're a complete idiot. You know, that's not, I did not mean that. Okay. Oh my God. That's horrible. Uh, so, when I said I was how surprised I was, so many people pointed out, Ben, you know nothing about everything that's happened musically since 19, rough, roughly since Purple Rain. So who are you to chide someone, Ben, for ignorance? <laughs> you cannot name one song that was performed at the halftime show. And David, it's true. I can't name one song. The whole country's go, oh, I love this song. Millennials are like, I remember where I was when this song came out. And I'm like, I never even heard of it before. Sure. So, so uh, help me here. Am I being unfair to a 30-year-old who had never before now had heard it daily? Am I just accusing her of what I do all the time, being ignorant? Go ahead, David Seaton. You know, I, I certainly think that it's cultural. And part of culture is uh, part of the demography of culture is age. So, you know, I, I'm sure that um, when my when my daughter, who is 21, brings up, you know, artists that she likes that are the you know hot artists right now, I'm not always familiar with them. Uh, she grew up, you know, listen, you know, with me with the music that I listen to. Um, so she, you know, she recognizes that music. When I saw the, when I, when I saw the halftime show, I enjoyed it, but I enjoyed it because that was music that I grew up on. And I think it's important that in a, in a, in a celebration like the Super Bowl, you know, you have to be cognizant of your audience. And, and so you're not, but, but there's no music, there's no entertainment that's going to please everybody. Uh, you know, that no matter who you choose, you know, someone's going to someone's going to be offended. You know, someone's going to say, why didn't they pick my genre? Uh, what have you? I, you know, I, I have read a lot of commentary that the NFL was placating African-Americans because they've got this discrimination suit that's coming up. But even the people who said that are, are, are demonstrating their ignorance. They don't throw, they don't throw together a halftime show in a couple of weeks. This is, this is something that's months, you know, in the making, uh, you know, so, so again, even from that perspective, you know, for the, for the critics that, that would, uh, that, that were, you know, uh, skeptical of, of the NFL's motivation for, for picking the artists that, uh, who they picked, you know, I, those are people who I guess, you know, I would just chalk them up. I would say they're ignorant of the process. All right. Uh, since you raised the topic 
let's go there. Uh, one critic is, as I may have mentioned this to you before the show, one of my oldest and dearest friends, his name is Kevin Blackstone. I try to send you, uh, and he will be on our show, this very show next week to defend his comments. Uh, but he made some comments, uh, to the sort of along the lines of what you were saying, uh, on a, some TV show. I don't even know what it was. I'd like to give the credit, uh, David, but it was a sports t- uh, talk show and Kevin is a sports writer. And, um, you know what, uh, Dennis, can we play it? Let's just play it. There's a lot to talk about, Kevin Blackstone. Where did this halftime rank? Could it be number one? Some are saying it's number one. Well, it was certainly the funkiest uh, uh, halftime performance I recall, but it also kind of struck me funky in an odoriferous way, right? Because here's here are all these rappers um, led there by Jay-Z, who said he's going to fix things in terms of social justice with this league. They have a huge discrimination lawsuit hanging over their head, and this kind of struck me as some sort of deodorizer uh, for all that's going on with this league right now. So I was a little bit queasy uh, kind of watching that performance. Well, Melvin, I am always careful to jump to race. That said, the majority, here's here's my thoughts. and, And here's what I've said on my show to black people about this and related topics. In the history of this country, African-Americans have been treated like a second class, have been treated like second class citizens. We know this. Uh, That said, the only quiver in our arsenal that we play when these types of, of situations come up is we try to appeal to the emotional sensibilities of the larger culture. And that hasn't worked. That's not going to work. It is counterintuitive to accuse someone of being racist and then try to appeal to their uh, higher sensibilities of fairness and then expect them to make a decision that is inclusive. My position is that if African-Americans want to uh, affect the change that they want to see, that we have to do it socioeconomically. Uh, African-Americans represent $1.4 trillion of consumption in the United States. So certainly there is enough, uh, we we represent enough money that if we wanted to impact uh, something as large as even the NFL, we have the power to do it. But black people aren't buying, and and when I say this, I'm not saying this uh, across the board, but we're, we're generally not the consumers of, of uh, you know, tickets, uh, you know, on the at the 50 yard line, you know, <laughs> you know, on the field. We're not buying the paraphernalia. Uh, we're, we're not, you know, the only the only thing that, you know, African-Americans have generally suggested that we should do is, oh, we're going to boycott the NFL and not watch on Sunday. Who gives a shit? There, you know, we're, we're outnumbered uh, in that regard. We're only 12% of the population. We have a country of 330 million people and about 68% of that, of, that, of that population is white. So if no black person turns on the NFL, those Nielsen ratings aren't going to impact their revenue one bit. So, so we, need to, we need to get some additional, uh, some additional strategies if we're going to try and impact the NFL. Uh, but, but even that aside, the NFL is a private organization. 
if the if the if the owners get to like again a lot of times i think african americans would say well there are no black coaches or there are no black owners i'm sure there are plenty of white owners you know uh, uh not to invoke his name unnecessarily donald trump wanted to buy an nfl team and they told him no so this is a private club of a small group of wealthy individuals who they set it up such that they can pick and choose who they want to allow into their organization. No more than you've been pick and choose who you want as uh, as a guest on your show or Atiba and I pick the guests who we want on our show. So, you know, I don't I don't necessarily think it's uh, racist. Uh, and, and, and as far as the players being 70 percent black. Uh, again, it's, you know, the, the players are 70, 70% black because they're choosing the best players to make the most money on the game. So one has nothing to do with the other. Uh, if you if you don't like it, go start your own organization. You know, they tried with the, with the you know, they tried to start the uh, XFL or whatever that was that Trump owned the team in that league and it wasn't successful. Um Everything is not about race. Some things are just some things are just socioeconomic. Some things are just about, uh, you know, people are tribal in nature and, you know, just jumping to racism every single time, I think, coarsens the discourse. Wow, a lot for me to uh, play off of. But when you said that uh, everything's not about race, uh, there's a line that Sigmund Freud once said, uh, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Uh, Sigmund Freud said that. Uh, I just want to point out a couple things. Uh, Donald Trump, I wasn't aware that he was uh, blocked from buying an NFL team. I have to look into that. But he did once own a team in the USFL, uh, right. which was a league right. that existed to the USFL back in the early 80s. Uh, and there's an excellent documentary out about the demise of the USFL, in which points a finger at Donald Trump's behavior and actions for uh, being a major impact, a major reason why that league fell apart. I urge people to check it out if you're into football and the Donald Trump uh, or Burt Reynolds, because Burt Reynolds uh, was another owner in that league, the great Burt Reynolds. Make you rest in peace. One of my favorite actors from the 70s uh, rips Donald Trump big time. And this movie came out, uh, David, before Donald Trump was a huge political force. Sure. Uh, and in many ways, it presages uh, Donald Trump. But when you said that when you went on that riff, which was a good one. Uh, so, all right, hold it. I knew David had said this before we began the show. We're going to go on tangents and we're never going to get to what we can. <laughs> but that's OK. So I, I really need you to, to zero in on something. So 70 percent uh, of the football league, the uh, NFL is uh, black just because the blacks are best players. There's only one right now. Uh, African-American coach uh, in the NFL, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, have uh, uh, Mike Tomlin. So are you telling me that 99% of the coaches in the NFL are white because white men make the best coaches? I'm not making a, I'm not making a, a racial uh, uh, commentary one way or the other. I'm saying that the NFL picks the best players and the and the people whom they they're choosing happen to be black. They're not they're not the NFL the NFL as an organization or individual teams are not going out and saying we've we've got to get seventy percent of our players to be black, and then they're going out and picking the be- the best black players. They're picking the best players. Um, that that that's that's this that's the fact of the matter. Uh, if and and so again. 
the coaches, you know, the, the office staff, the back office staff, you know, those, those jobs require a different skill set. Um, so again, it, you, you can make the argument one way or the other. White people are not, white people are not saying that the NFL is inherently racist because more black people are on the field than are actually playing the game. So again, I, I'm, 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 I'm careful not to play the race card in either, in either way. Uh, like I said, and there are plenty of, there are plenty of rich people who want to buy teams and they're not given the opportunity to, to, to own a team. They, the, the NFL in terms of its team ownership is pure, is purely, is probably the most democratic, you know, process because all of the owners have to agree, uh, you know, and, and that's the way the, those are the rules that they set up that, you know, so it is, you know, a buyer, I just read an article that Byron Allen is, is supposed to be, uh, you know, become a part owner of the uh, Bengals. So, you know, it, it, I, I'm like I said, I'm, I'm careful. I'm careful to. It's very easy, and we always we always fall into this logical fallacy that we we see correlation and we ascribe causation, and, and that's a logical fallacy. I would argue that the NFL is less a democracy and more of a socialistic state. Uh, the profits are guaranteed and protected uh, by rules that the uh, owners have established, so that every owner. Is uh, receives uh, essentially the same portion, no matter how negligent or horrific he or she may be at operating his or her business, which is to put a successful football team on the field. I would argue, and this is the inner libertarian in me that's always trying to come on out, David Seaton, that the NFL is proof that once you guarantee things to people, you er- you eradicate any what reason they may have, motive they may have to be successful. And so my beloved Chicago Bears that I mindlessly root for year after year since the 1960s, since you weren't, I don't even know if you were born yet, David Seaton, and I've been rooting for them. They have no incentive. That's the word I'm looking for. They have no incentive to change and improve because they're going to get the same amount of money anyway. Arlington Heights is now going to give them money probably to build a football stadium. So I would say it's less a democracy and more a socialistic state. Well, you are correct. You are correct in terms of the profit sharing from the revenue that comes from the television stations that each that each of the teams share in that equally. I'm talking about the process through which the NFL has set up this 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 process to allow uh, you know, owners, new owners to own an individual, an individual team. <clears throat> that's the, that's the part of it that I'm talking about. At the end of the day, it is a private organization and we have to, on the left, we have to be careful not to talk out of both sides of our mouths. We can't, we can't on one hand say that, that a, a private organization, hey, we don't want the government coming in and, 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 and telling private organizations what to do until a private organization does what we don't like. Then we want to we tell the, the, you know, a private organization what to do. We have to, we have to be intellectually consistent, and that, I think, is more important than the allegation of the miasma of, of racism in the NFL. 
Well, I certainly hope, to your point, uh, that no government anywhere uh, contributes to the Chicago Bears. I know they will. I, I know somebody, some dumb government is going to give them money, give them public money, uh, and totally reward their mediocrity, uh, which I, I would call on all my free market friends in the University of Chicago, all my lovers of Milton Freeman to join me in denouncing this, uh, the eradication of any standard in the business world. We reward failure you reward mediocrity go well, ahead again, well again you're I, I think you're contradicting yourself again you you just said you've supported the bears since the 60s they've been to the super bowl and won once yes since the 60s <laughs> so you know the the reason why the model works is because uh, the NFL knows that there are Ben Jarofskis out there that are going to go to every game that they can. They're going to buy the jerseys. They're going to go to the they're going to go to the stadium and pay for the overpriced beer and the overpriced hot dogs and and spend thousands of dollars on skyboxes and and they and they know that people are going to do that, knowing full well that as they're putting their credit card number in to pay for the ticket or pay for the food, that their team is probably going to lose that game and or not go to the postseason. So it's not it's it's the it's the unyielding, you know, uh, fellowship of of diehard fans, you know, that 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 props up this uh, this perpetual uh, uh, socialistic uh, monopoly or or, uh, oligopoly as it is. I have only one word to say in response to what you just did. Touche. All right, let's <laughs> Touche, David Seaton. Uh, all right. Now, you, well, as long as we're on this subject, uh, let before we leave the subject, let's uh, go back to something that you, you sent me that you want to talk about. Uh, and this news broke yesterday, after yesterday's show, so I didn't have an opportunity to talk about it uh, yesterday's show. But you're here today, so let's talk about it. The new lawyer that uh, the NFL has hired um, to represent itself, to defend itself against the accusations and allegations that uh, Brian Flores makes in his racial discrimination lawsuit is the former U.S. Attorney General under Barack Obama. Take it away, David Seaton, with your thoughts on this. Loretta Lynch, former AG, is representing the NFL in their uh, in their discrimination lawsuit, and I saw this article, and then a very very uh, close political friend of our show, I saw her tweet and 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 just the the comments on it, just attacking Loretta Lynch, uh, you know, insinuating that she's a sellout or that you know for taking this case and and so forth. So again, this again, this is one of those things. This is one of these times where we have to be intellectually consistent. If Loretta Lynch was the attorney representing the coach who's suing, every black woman would be lauding her and and fist pumping in the air and saying, "Oh, a black woman, blah 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 blah, is going here." And and and, and you know how great is it that a, that an African American woman is is involved in such a high profile, high stakes case. Uh, that she was hired by the NFL 
you know, now now she's a, you know, now people are questioning her loyalty to her race. I would argue that her first loyalty is to herself and to her, her legacy and to her family. So, uh, you know, if the NFL, put, if there are enough zeros on that check, uh, you know, then then she has no obligation to, you know, to turn that down. I, I remember people attacking, you know, the lawyer who defended uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. And they were saying, "Oh, how could you, you know, defend Jeffrey Dahmer or or the or the crazy um, the crazy serial killer who had the swastika uh, on his forehead that, that uh, I can't think of his name off the top." Charles Manson. Charles Manson. Uh, again, we have to be intellectually consistent. The moment that we say that someone does not deserve adequate adequate legal representation. Once we once we start that precedent or start down that road, then eventually it's going to it's going to be your turn. Eventually, it's going to be your turn in the barrel and someone's going to say, oh, you don't deserve adequate uh, legal representation. So, you know, that this is our system. And and Loretta Lynch, uh, I, I even thought as I was as I was reading these comments that because we respond so emotionally sometimes to these to these things, we're not even. We're not even allowing for the possibility uh, that Loretta Lynch, by representing the NFL, is going to get access to a treasure trove of otherwise private information that would that that no one you know is, it would uh, would otherwise see. Who knows what she will be able to do once she's able to you know peer behind uh, uh, you know see behind the curtain and have access to all of that information which she's going to be which she's going to need in order to uh, mount a, a proper defense. So uh, you know I think sometimes people when you're when you, when we were when we when our visceral response is to respond emotionally, um, we're oftentimes myopic and short sighted and and. Again, that's in the in the grand scheme of things, that's counterproductive. Well, OK, I just would like to say this. Uh, I don't I've not seen the uh, uh, tweet that you alluded to, so I, I can't comment on it. Believe that I, I, I'm not going to comment on something because I don't know about it. Wow. <laughs> what a radical uh, notion. But I the objections that I've heard uh, from people and um about this matter, and we were talking about God, we were talking about this for endlessly last night at the Bulls game, uh, is that it's not that, the issue is not does the uh, NFL have the right to adequate representation, to legal representation. Of course they have a right. That's a fundamental bedrock of our system. Everybody has a right to an attorney. You know the whole thing, I'm not talking to the police officer until my attorney's here. I've had attorneys come on the show, David C., and say, no matter what, never, ever, ever talk to a police officer unless there's an attorney in the room. I don't care what it is. Don't if the police officer wants to talk to you about something, say I got to bring my lawyer in. And and uh, April Perar, if she's listening, shout out to you. She's the one who said that. Uh, she is a criminal defense lawyer, by the way. Anyway, so of course, the NFL has the right, and of course, the NFL is a multi-billion-dollar operation can will have no shortage of lawyers lining up to defend them. The issue is, should Loretta Lynch take that job? Should the former attorney general uh, in the Barack Obama administration, whose uh, mission was to to defend civil rights of people like Brian Flores, should she 
flip and now defend the NFL against a racial discrimination lawsuit? Should she, what, uh, undercut the credibility of what she stood for when she was with Barack Obama? And my response is, well, everybody has the right to make as much money as they can in America, okay? And furthermore, that's what lawyers do. What they do is they learn at public expense by being prosecutors. Then they take all the knowledge that we paid to teach them and they go to a criminal defense law firm, make gazillions more money defending the same people they prosecuted. Patrick Daly Thompson's defense attorney, David Seaton, was himself a former prosecutor. So that's the way the system works. But I can understand why people would be offended. Again, it is naive uh, in the in the age of in the age of the internet in the age of television. Optics is just as as important as the quality of your legal defense. So the NFL made the decision that the optics of hiring an African, you know, they're going to be able to they're going to have the presupposition out there that says why would Loretta why would Loretta Lynch former AG for Barack Obama, an African-American woman, take our case if she thought we were racist. That's a, that's a brilliant strategic move by the NFL. And, and, to, and again, for, for anyone to ignore that or to, or to pretend as though Loretta, Loretta Lynch has some, uh, has some sensibility about herself that she's going to turn down what I'm sure is tens of millions of dollars uh, in the pri- working in the private sector, be because because of any other consideration is is naive. Well, let me just say this: uh, the question that you pose, the NFL saying, uh, and this is why Loretta Lynch is so useful. To them. I absolutely agree with you. Why would Loretta Loretta Lynch take on this case uh, if we were racist? I will say that the OJ's provided uh, the answer to that question in a song that was very popular in the '70s, and it's go, "Oh mighty dollar." I won't sing the song. <laughs> I'll just recite the "Oh mighty dollar." Okay, <laughs> and that's why she did it david seaton they they pay a lot more money and i'll just tell you the way our system works brian flores's lawyer is not probably i'll bet you anything i do not know i haven't seen her contract has not received a dime from brian he's taking a chance and a risk that that okay because that's how the our plaintiff system works they said they took it they they looked at the case and they asserted they made a uh, determination of like risk versus reward, and they decided to go that the reward outweighed the risk. Uh, so they take the case in the hopes they're going to win it. When you're a defense lawyer, ching ching, you get sure. the money. Sure, sure. <laughs> She's probably already been paid off. The first a batch of dollars have been sent to her already. So her, 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 uh, her, her, her trust account has received the first tranche. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> but but again, again, at the end of the day, uh, yeah. here, here's, here's what, here's what I really feel about this. Oh. As a, from, as from the African-American perspective, there are 34 teams in the NFL. 34. Something like that. Approximately what you'd say, probably 200 players per per team, offense, defense, special teams. Uh, so we've got about 30. We've got about let's just say 30 teams uh, 
200 players per team. Right. So you got, so that's, uh, that's, that's 1200 people and 70% of them, uh, approximately 70% of those players are black and all of those players uh, you know the average salary for the average salary for a black man in the United States is forty two thousand dollars. So uh, you know the the lowest paid player in the NFL today uh, is going to make a few hundred thousand dollars, and the average career is about three years. Are are we really are we really honestly are we really asking forty two million black people to be emotionally invested in what's going on with 70% of 1200 people who are for all intents and purposes, all millionaires. When the average black person make the average black person has to work 30 years to make what an NFL player makes in three years. That that's, that's the, that's the, how skewed things are that, you know, we if we if we really want to affect change and we really want to talk about the issues that impact the largest number of of, of African Americans and the premises is, is that African Americans are still living in a two tiered system. Uh, the NFL is not the platform uh, off of which we should emotionally invest ourselves to affect change. And again, I would argue that because we we disproportionately invest ourselves emotionally in 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 situations like the NFL, which is such a small minority, which is such a such a such a small group of people that that in my opinion that positions us such that we're not taken seriously. Well, I would disagree with you on this point, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. First of all, this is by no means uh, only uh, African-Americans that do this. Utterly obsessed with celebrity? Are you kidding me? I mean, America is utterly obsessed with a celebrity. It crosses all lines. Uh, no, and, uh, no, 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 and it's not just black people. White people are utterly free. And sure, I sure, sure. sure, but but white people are not are not by are not. Their obsession with celebrity is not an extension of a collective, uh, a collective improvement they want to see for their group. African Americans are 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 allowing the black pe- the the black players or the or the black members of the NFL to by proxy use their situation to to and allowing and allowing it to to be a, a, a like it's a microcosm of what's going on for the average African American. The average African American, the average black man who makes forty two thousand dollars a year, should look at the guys who are in the NFL and say, "Hey, you're going to make more money in your three to five years in the NFL." Then I'm going to make in a lifetime. Suck it up. Make your money, and then when you leave the NFL, then go do something else productive with your money in society. But am I going to? But am I going to waste my time sitting around worrying about a bunch of black millionaires because now because they're complaining because oh they won't let us in the coaches the coaches they won't let us be coaches and they won't let us be owners and they I, I for David Seaton there are way more important downtrodden, uh, poor uh, uh, people 
powerless people who deserve my time more so than the, like I said, the 70% of the 1200 players who are all millionaires. All right. I would go, uh, again, I'm going to disagree with you on this one. I think across the board, uh, celebrity battles are larger than life. They're like parables for larger struggles in society. Uh, and so I'll just, just think about, uh, the, when the news broke that women in Hollywood, uh, were paid less than uh, their co-stars. And I remember Ricky Gervais making a joke about this at the uh, Golden Globes. He was very funny when he was hosting the Golden Globes, Ricky Gervais, very funny man. And he was uh, talking about Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, I feel so sorry for you. You only made $52 million. And Jennifer Lawrence was sitting there in, this, in the audience and she laughed when he said it. But the reality is if she had been a man, she would have made, I don't know, $70 million. And so the point is, the point is not that Jennifer Lawrence is has to make do and only $52 million. The point is that she does the same thing as Brad Pitt, but she gets paid less and women, they, they could say, yeah, I see that Loretta Lynch. I hope she's getting paid as much as the white lawyers working on that case. I hope they don't give her less. In fact, she could argue I deserve more because when I walk in, the, I'm the one getting the, the grief on Twitter. As a black woman. So I'm worth more to you. She can make that argument. I, again, again, I have to disagree. Which uh, part? About the, I mean, going to the gender piece. Uh, women, and, and, the, and the studies are out there. Again, I think, it's, I think it's a little disingenuous to go to like the Jennifer Lawrence and the $50 million uh, just because those are, those are outliers. But when you're talking about, uh, you know, the average woman who makes less money, there, there, are, there are quantifiable reasons uh, why women, generally speaking, on average, make less money has to do, you know, it has to do with a whole host of things there. I, I don't believe that there's, uh, as a matter of fact, here, let, let me take the compliment of what you're saying. If it's true that women make, make less more, make less money than men, that they, that they get paid less, everything else, then that would mean because private companies are profit driven that they'd hire a hundred percent women. Why would they why would they hire men who they have to pay more if they're profit driven? I'll just get women to do all these jobs since I know they'll take less money. And because I can get away with it because I pay women less, I'll just have a 100 percent female workforce. So that that's the that's that, that's the you know, that, I, again, I think it's easy to say. I think it's I think that's low hanging fruit. Again, it's correlation, not causation. There are, <laughs> there are a lot of reasons why women on average make less money, but it has nothing to do with. With people sitting in a boardroom and they're looking at two applications and saying, "Oh, here's a man and here's a woman. I'm going to pay this." Well, it, 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 his uh, his sex here says M, so he automatically gets X. But the 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 sex on this application says F. Yeah, give her seventy percent. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. I first of all. I completely disagree with you on this point. Absolutely, this is part of the mindset. And is it rational? No discrimination bigotry and prejudice is not rational do you think like it was a rational thing to have slavery do you think it was a rational thing to have jim crow i mean the paying women less for doing the same thing that a man does is part of something Ill irrational illogical does not relate to the bottom line it relates to a prejudice and a prejudice in and of itself is something that does is like against the grain of common sense and so absolutely. And I, and I absolutely believe that in Hollywood, this has been going on a long time. This is the subject of lawsuits. 
Uh, it's across the board. Jennifer Lawrence was just an example that Ricky Gervais very cleverly used to make a very funny joke. But the joke uh, revealed. In fact, then he went on to make this joke. I remember. I just watched this again because I think I, this is my way of saying, David, I love Ricky Gervais. So he goes, uh, <laughs> he said he was talking about how the year before uh, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler were the hosts of the Golden Globe Awards. And he they they gave him a break because he was so controversial. He goes, I'm back. And I just want to tell you right now that Amy and Tina got the same amount of money as I get for hosting this. So, okay, they had to split it among themselves, but come on, <laughs> stop whining. <laughs> Ricky Gervais is a very wise man. Uh, Here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say specifically about the Jennifer Lawrence and the Brad Pitt example. Yes. When Jennifer Lawrence's body of work grosses as much as Brad Pitt's body of work, then she, then she might have a point. Yeah, I actually do not know if it was Brad Pitt. Uh, I can't remember who the actor was. So let's just just put that out there. If somebody writes in a correction, Ben, it wasn't Brad Pitt. That was just the first name that popped in my mind. Uh, and Jennifer Lawrence has brought in a lot of do me for Hollywood. I'm just saying that right sure, now. Sure, but not as uh, much as Brad Pitt. Uh, probably not. Uh, probably not as Brad Pitt. All right. Let you get away with that point because I'm so nice to my guests. I let my guests get the last point. All right. All right. Let's move on to the topic that you wanted to talk about. And um, I'll hold off on Sarah Palin. Uh, because that may be the only thing we agree with in the entire show today. Uh, uh, Sarah Palin uh, and her lawsuit against the New York Times. Uh, you sent me an article uh, that um, about uh, a new proposed law. Uh, in the state house of Illinois regarding section eight. Uh, and why don't you explain a little bit? You said this, uh, you were that uh, landlords uh, were real upset about this proposed law, uh, which again, is just a proposal. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't think it's passed either body. Uh, that's my, it's pa- it passed the house. It passed the house. Okay. So it's, it it's in the Senate. Got it. Okay. So this, uh, law, this law basically is going to, uh, cre- is going to mandate that private landlords uh, uh, that uh, well, let me back up right now. You go out there, you're looking for an apartment and you have a section eight voucher. You can go, you can call up a landlord, call up an apartment complex and they can say, we don't accept section eight vouchers. So if you are, if you have a section eight voucher, then in the, in the universe of possible places where you can rent, it shrinks to the number of places who are going to accept your section eight voucher then it shrinks again to the places that you can afford. So in order, uh, you know, as, as the purpose of the law is to try and uh, try and address homelessness. So they're, they're trying to, and they've already passed it in the house. This law would basically mandate that private landlords accept section eight vouchers uh, that they, they wouldn't discriminate against the source of income from individuals who are walking in with say, section eight vouchers and it would also do away with the minimum income requirement uh, for individuals to when they're applying for, uh, you know, a, a, an apartment or, or, or a house or, you know, applying for a housing. This is far and away the worst idea that uh, and, it, and it's and it's uh, it, it's it's a bad idea that's compounded by an already bad program. 
uh, and, and I'm talking specifically about Section 8. Uh, Section 8, I don't know if you know it or not, and th- these are just some kind of, so let me, let me say at the outset that I believe that as a society that we should try to address homelessness that we have a, a responsibility to help people who, you know, have a, a, so, a social safety net uh, that will catch people that fall on hard times and, and they need, you know, assistance to get back on their feet. The Section 8 program uh, in its present iteration is, is a program, I believe, that perpetuates gener- familial generational underachievement. I don't know if you know this or not, but did you know that if if you get a Section 8 voucher that you can leave it in your will to your children? I did not know that. That's think about that for a second. The you are being given you are you are as an individual are getting something because you are financially on hard times. You get some assistance from the government in the form of this voucher. And not only can you use it for your entire life, then when you die, you can leave it to your children. So, and and again, I've employed, uh, I've employed people on Section 8, and I know people on Section 8, and I know people who have done this, you know, they, they, I know uh, women who will tell their children, hey, you're going to get this Section 8 voucher one day. So then what are you doing to the next generation? You're lowering their, you know, the the their uh, their the expectations for what they would do with their lives because hey, they're not going to go worry about trying to you know get a job so they can buy a house wherever to invest for their future because I'm going to get this Section Eight voucher. Uh, uh, but but that's the that's the that's the ten thousand foot level view of it. Yes, landlords are pushing back. I'm a private landlord. Uh, this is this is, un- I, I can't even tell you how. Uh, how much I disagree with this. And, and it's just another example of, uh, and, and, and I, and I, I want to say this, <laughs> I'm saying, because I am a, I am a Democrat and I am a progressive, but this is going too far. Uh, this is, going to, <laughs> this is going to, this is going to push a lot of people who otherwise have goodwill for the democratic party in, uh, into the hands of the Republicans. Well, I think most of those people uh, are already into the hands of the Republicans. But before, before that, let's not explore that point for the moment. Uh, I don't know what the difference is between, let's say, well, first of all, you were just articulating everything I was saying about uh, the bears. When you just get what you want, no matter how you perform, there's no accountability. So you, now you're just proving my point about the bears. Like they get the same amount of their Arlington Heights about to give money for a state, even though they're terrible. What difference is that between some section eight person go, well, I have no reason to get a job since I'm going to get the section eight certificate. It's just section eight on a much greater scale. And I find it interesting that nobody's crying except for a few lefties like me about the bears getting their huge section eight subsidy from the state, from the, town of Arlington Heights battling with the city of Chicago to give them more section eight. We're going to call it section bear eight and just take more bears. But we're worried about some. Well, I tell you that I'll tell you the difference. Go here. We go. I want to hear this. Go ahead. Here's the difference. Mm -hmm. If you own a restaurant, uh, because they're talking about moving it actually to the Arlington uh, Heights uh, racetrack, right? 
Well, the Bears, uh, you talk about the Bears stadium? Yes. Is that what you're talking about? The yes. Bears uh, purchased, the Arlington, uh, yes, the Arlington Racetrack uh, is out of business. The Bears uh, have an option to buy it. And uh, there's talk with Arlington Heights about uh, building a football stadium there. So uh, none of these details have been made public except for the sure, generalities. Sure. But sure. I can almost guarantee you, David Seaton, that as part of the package that it gets the Bears at stadium will be a public subsidy. I will bet you dinner at the restaurant of your choice. Knowing you, you'll go to the fanciest steakhouse in Chicago. I'm going to make you go to Chicago Cuts. We'll share a delicious steak. I love that. Here's the difference. Here's the difference. If you own own a a restaurant that has been struggling during COVID Uh and you are within walking distance of the Arlington Heights racetrack, you are ecstatic about the possibility of the Bears moving there. If you bought a house in that area and you bought that house for, you know, X, you are elated at the possibility of the Bears moving there. Any business, any homeowner, uh, you know, uh, there, there are there are people and I and I know this personally from uh, my past in the, in the mortgage business. There are people who own houses in uh, in Wrigleyville and, and that are you know within walking distance of, of Wrigley Stadium. They pay their mortgages the entire year just just from the money they collect, letting people park in their driveways to, to go to a Cubs game. There are there is going to be so much money, and that and that's what we ignore. I, I am in the macro. I agree with you that that Arlington Heights spending a bunch of money to get the Bears to come out there. That that money is ultimately going to be paid to to some degree by the local residents of the area. I, I, in the macro, I agree with you, but there's going to be so much. Everybody who lives in Arlington Heights is going to bed every night on their knees, praying and hoping that this deal goes through because it's going, because the ancillary effect will be that people will be positively impacted financially. Uh, again, same thing with, you know, Barack Obama and, and him building his library. People are flocking to that area trying to buy property right now because they know as soon as that library is done, they buy a piece of property for X, it's gonna they're gonna be able to sell it for two or three or four X down the road. So we can't so so I while in the macro I do agree with you that Arlington Heights subsidizing the relocation of the Bears from Chicago to Arlington Heights and that that the local residents are gonna have to pay for it, uh, you know, indirectly. I do agree with you that you know, one one could make the argument that that's not necessarily in the immediate interest of those of those uh, local residents. No, I would make the argument that it's definitely in the fin- in the long term financial interest because if the Bears move there, they're going to be there for at least the next twenty to thirty years. Right, Somebody well, you- got a restaurant out there that's struggling that they're praying. Please come out here. There's a realtor out there who hasn't closed a deal in six months saying, oh, man, I really need uh, the Bears to come to Arlington Heights. All right. Uh, okay. I'll address the issue you raised, but I just want to point out uh, that you did what you did was very skillful. 
you took the issue that was on the table, put it to the side and introduced another skill, uh, issue that you wanted to talk about. That's straight out of the playbook of Tony Preckwinkle, and, uh, who's the maestro and the master. Actually, you did a better job of it than Tony Preckwinkle. She is so blatantly obvious when she, there's like no connection whatsoever. She'll just say it. I'll bet the subject about the bears. She'll talk about flowers. And I'm like, what? Huh? So the issue on the table was that there's no principal difference between giving a person a Section 8 uh, certificate, enabling them to stay in Section 8 housing, and giving the Bears what amounts to a Section 8 certificate, uh, enabling them to build a luxury stadium uh, in Arlington Heights. In each case, you're not holding people accountable for the way they live their life. In each case, you're rewarding people for not working, for not being high achievers. I'm just saying that when as person, I'm just pointing out that as a principle, a person who believes in meritocracy should, should oppose the bears getting their money after years and years of wretched, wretched corporate behavior, inability to pick a good quarterback or a good coach every bit as much as they object to somebody getting a Section 8 certificate and never working. Now, I just want to say this here. So your point about the businessman in Arlington Heights who owns the restaurant, I'm just going to point something to, out to you, businessman in Arlington Heights. If you think that Chicago Bears Stadium is going to help your restaurant, I'm going to point something out. Eight games, eight Sundays. You still got to worry about all those other Sundays. Who's going to come to your restaurant? There's no one going to be at that Bear Stadium. That's number one. Number two, your property taxes are going to go up to pay for that stadium. Why? Because they're going to pay for it with a TIF. Probably. That's my guess. And when they put that TIF in there, your property taxes will go. So you, instead of giving your property taxes to Chicago Public Schools, you'll be giving your property taxes to the Chicago Bears. So I don't believe that if you took a piece of paper and a pencil, David Seaton, and tallied up the cost of paying the bears, subsidizing the bears, mediocrity, mediocrity, that's what they're doing. They're saying, there's, don't worry if you're a horrible business. Don't worry if you don't know how to field a good team. We're going to give you money anyway, undercutting everything our country is supposed to be about. If you think that comes without a price, you're fooling yourself. There will be. Well, a I would say my response to you is, is that your, your response is, is, is naive. Even if the bear, even if the bears, uh, even if the bears only play eight to 10 games in a regular season and they don't make it to the postseason, the, uh, which they won't go right. ahead. Soldier field uh, is a venue that generates revenue year round because it is bear stadium. So it's so it's not just the it's not just during the the actual football season that that piece of real estate generates income, but but the reason why the the income generation and the surrounding businesses being impacted is the sole reason why I disagree with you is because section eight section eight or an an individual who receives section eight that individual that individual is being positively impacted, but it has no impact. It has no positive impact beyond that individual. That, I, just, that, I completely disagree with that point. I mean, if somebody has a house, that's uh, you're, they're not camped out on the street. If somebody has a house, if somebody's income, if twenty five, if their income is uh, the, 
is uh, only 25% goes to housing, that means 75% goes to other goods. So they can buy things. And if they live in neighborhoods, they'll go to the local supermarket. I mean, nobody ever in the city of Chicago, and I've been following this for 30 years, ever really does a cost-benefit analysis of the subsidies we hand out. All they do is, if you have the right lawyer, if you got the right clout, you get the money. That's Chicago. Here's your, but here again, here's the fallacy with your, with your argument. If you're on section eight, you're probably, your, your income is meager because you, because the, the threshold to qualify is so low. So if you're on section eight, you're not making a bunch of money. You're probably on food stamps. Uh, you, you know, you've got, you're on, you're on, on other social safety net programs. So the net in the net uh, impact that you're having to a particular neighborhood is being is is one hundred percent subsidized, and I know from from an employer perspective, I have had employees that were on Section Eight, that were on food stamps, that were working at, that were working for me. I would offer them, uh, you know, additional hours, and they would tell me. And this is in the article that you that I sent you. Mm-hmm. Employees will often turn down opportunities to make more money because. If they make more money, they're going to lose their their subsidy. So ultimately, here's the problem with Section Eight as a, as a program: uh, or, or it, it it's it doesn't have a time limit, and it disincentivizes self improvement. Yeah, it's just like the Bears getting that cut of the TV revenue. Exactly, you're proving my point. You keep coming back to my point, and then you run away to another point. I, it's the same thing I said about the Bears. There's no incentive for the Bears to improve because they're going to get their gazillions anyway. It's the same argument that you're making well, about Section 8. It's not the same argument because it is the Ben Jarofskis of the world that prop up the Bears. And what I'm saying to you is, even from a philosophical, even from a philosophical uh, point of view, why do I have to subsidize someone where someone lives? Because not because not because they not because there's not some place where they can live, they want to live someplace better, whatever however you quantify that, they want to live someplace better that they can't afford. So then not only have we set this program up that we're subsidizing people and, and, and giving them access to live to a place they can't afford. Now we're going to tell private landlords and, oh, by the way, you have to take this tenant. Yeah. By the way, I, I just want to say one thing uh, in fairness to myself. Uh, the only team that I blindly and foolishly uh, subsidize, uh, no matter how bad they do with the Chicago Bulls, I dropped the Bears a long time ago, but I'm <laughs> I, physically incapable of rooting for any other team. And yes, you're right. Is that a sickness, David Seaton? You're right. I admit that. That's a, but I, I, I haven't been to a Bears game in years because I just cannot just stand giving them money. All right, we're going to, this is kind of argument that we're going to have endlessly many times. So let's close the show by something we agree on. I think we're going to agree on this, this particular one. Uh, And I'll throw it out there. Maybe you'll disagree with me, Uh, but I don't think so. I do not understand. Well, let me amend that. No, I do not understand how MAGA can look at itself in the mirror talking about how they're against cancel culture. When every chance they get, they try to cancel someone's culture. 
All the, they, they whine. I was at the at the game last night. I was laughing. Uh, what was the player on? Um, uh, it was on the. Uh, was it a Bulls player or the other team? Like I'm blanking on which player was just whining at a call he didn't get. And I was like, stop whining. And that's <laughs> <laughs> just stop it. Okay. Uh, and uh, that is, um, that is exactly what MAGA does. So you got Sarah Palin, who was MAGA before MAGA, former governor of state of Alaska. Uh, she felt that she was maligned by a New York times editorial uh, that linked her to the shooting of Gabby Giffords, the uh, congresswoman in Arizona. The New York Times apologized for m- making a link that did not exist. They corrected the link within 24 hours. This occurred, I think, five years ago. She still got him in court. She still got him in court. And I'm like, MAGA. You feel you have the right to say absolutely anything about anyone at any time. If they complain, you call them a snowflake. Your president, the man you worship, spent until they kicked him off. He got kicked off of Twitter because he was just maligning people left and right without any regard for truth. And as soon as he had to pay a consequence for getting kicked for all his lying, you started crying about how they took away his free expression. And now she's in court, David Seaton, and she lost. The jury ruled against her. The judge said it was a bogus case. He'd have thrown it out even if the jury ruled in, in favor of her. She's talking about appealing. And MAGA's like, yeah, the New York Times, <laughs> fake news. They hurt her feelings. Please, David Seaton, explain to me, is there anything remotely resembling a principle in the articulation of liberty by MAGA, or is it just as I see it, a tactic in a larger political game. Go. Let me just say, and, and I've said this on my show countless times. And so let me, for, for anyone out there who is a Trump supporter or a MAGA supporter, please hear me. The First Amendment to the Constitution protects your speech to not be abridged by the government. The government the government twitter is a private organization it is not the government the new york times is a private organization it is not the government when twitter kicks donald trump off of twitter they are not infringing upon his first amendment's freedom of speech when when this when this case was uh, was ruled against when when sarah palin sued them for defamation she was ironically saying that they didn't have the freedom of speech to say what they said so on the so yes i, I but i but i again i think as a society we have gotten to the point where all of our arguments are 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 emotional and and we confuse we we have lost the ability for critical thinking and we conflate causation with correlation we cannot have we cannot agree on foundational facts therefore we always come to very disparate conclusions this is a this is a this is a, dev, a devolution that is going on right now among the American people, which is counterintuitive because the, the right regards Americans as 
uh, you know, American exceptionalism, that we're the we're the best and the brightest in the world. We rank 17th in science and 20th in math. And the only reason why we're even the, you know, the power that we are is because we bombed, the, you know, our competition and, 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 they, and, 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 and they lost in World War II and they're just now catching up to us. And because of H-1B visas that we bring all the smartest people from everywhere else around the world because we don't have the, the intellectual infrastructure here at home. That rant aside. <laughs> That's a good rant. <laughs> <laughs> that rant aside. Um, no, uh, uh, Sarah Palin, uh, I like to refer to her as Trump 1.0, and I refer to <laughs> Trump as Sarah Palin 2.0. <laughs> so, but, but here's the thing, here's the, here's the thing that we have to keep in mind on our side on the left. If we don't, if we don't address the dearth of critical thinking, Trump 2.0 or Sarah 3.0 is going to be, uh, is going to have all of the uh, all of the uh, uh, the malice of a Donald Trump, but is going to have the the discipline of a Mike Pence or 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 DeSantis. That's the thing that we really need to guard ourselves against. Someone who is as who is as morally uh, bankrupt as a Donald Trump, but as disciplined as a as a Mike Pence. That's what's on the horizon. And the only the only way to defeat that, like I said, is that we've got to have a renaissance in this country of critical thinking, of reason that 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 it doesn't matter how you feel. However, you you can you're free to feel however you choose, but your feelings have nothing to do with facts. That's that's that's. That's why we have a Donald Trump. That's why we have a Sarah Palin. That's why we have a MAGA. MAGA is out there, uh, again, uh, again, uh, uh, talking about Black Lives Matter at a peaceful protest, but then turn around and attack the uh, the white, the Capitol, and they're <laughs> conflating the two. It's the same thing. Why, why are you mad at us? You weren't mad at them. Uh, you know, so again, but even going back to what I said earlier, where I said everything, you know, everything being about race, that's a, to your point. You said that's a that's an irrational, um, um, emotional argument. But but when we give space to uh, and we allow society to conflate facts and feelings, this is where this is where we find ourselves. All right, very good. That's a good spot to close it because I I agree with it like. 90% of that riff that uh, you went on, which is the highest percentage of agreement uh, <laughs> in this entire show. Uh, and uh, David, see, it's always a blast talking to you. I was derelict in that reaching out uh, sooner. So we'll get you on more often. And um, one more time, tell folks uh, where they can uh, listen to you and the uh, great, the legendary Atiba, who by the way is to the left of David. So it's a, a bit like this exchange. Uh, maybe he's not as far as left as I, I don't know. Maybe Tiba is as far as left as I am. Uh, he's pretty. He's pretty left. He's, <laughs> he's, he's pretty out he's there. He's so left. He's right. But uh, <laughs> but yes, you can you can listen to the Buchanan and Seaton show on WVON sixteen ninety AM, the Talk of Chicago, on Fridays from three PM to six PM. You can listen to us on iHeartRadio. Uh, www.wvon.com or if you're here local in Chicago tune your AM dial to 1690 AM and you would be missing the greatest 
intellectual uh, discourse that you will ever have online if you do not take a moment and go to seatonspeaks.com. Uh, we've got videos, we've got audio, we've got articles, we've got uh, new contributors adding content. So uh, do yourself a favor and go over there and, uh, and leave a comment and follow me. And I, will, I do respond to all comments. Very good. All right, David. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Uh, also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as David Seaton and a team of Buchanan, about the only thing they agree on is that back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D, and the D stands for Demarvelous. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Yay for our teachers!